Hi, I'm Scott. And I'm Seth. And this is Track Walking. The first time in several episodes, by the time this one comes out, with intro music. Oh yeah, we will. Uh, we did our, our track walking at the track. Yeah. And um, Scott could have added intro music to them. I could have. <laughs> that was a, that was, I yes, that is something I could have done. I definitely did not. That's okay. I was totally fine with it. As soon as I discovered the the Zoom recorder that we have records everything as a separate file, just the act of having to put two files over top of each other was like, and that's all I have. Yeah. No, this is, and all I apologize for anybody I who's give. like, Scott and Seth are super low energy today. Yep. That's a fair assessment. If you figured that out by this point in the show, you're spot on. So this is the Monday after the one lap of America has been completed. And Becky and I have the distinct ease in that we live very close to South Bend. And it is a very easy drive for us. So we got home Saturday mid-afternoon, like 3, 3.30. Sounds about right. And we sat on the couch. I did that at Bob's house. And so that was nice. Sunday came around and I unpacked the race trailer a little bit, put a few things away, and then we watched The Batman. And then we watched the Formula One race. Which one of those was was better? The Batman, I think. Yeah, that's that's kind of what I figured. Yeah, I've been I've been watching Formula One, and the the new car designs definitely help encourage uh, uh, close racing and actually like have some racecraft in it. But I don't know. This one just didn't seem to do it for me. It no, it didn't. Like it I watched fine. the last. 45 minutes of it or something with, with Sonia. And, uh, I couldn't get into it. Same. Yeah. Do you know what would make formula one better? Uh, if they raced hovercrafts, if they raced Sunday cup cars, if they raced Sunday cup cars it would be amazing. If we took the same drivers. Yeah, exactly. And we were just like, all right, pick your Sunday cup car and, and let your team tune it within the rules. Sure. And I would love to see like like McLaren F1 with a Honda Fit and be like, all right, we're going to do this. It would be amazing. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> oh, and so that's, for, that's awesome. it for this week. Huh? <laughs> <laughs> Fix that problem. Uh, yeah. I don't know. The, you know, we talked about the track day hangovers and... Or track bad. weekend hangovers, but one lap hangovers worse. Um, I think partially just because of the dur- the duration and intensity of it, like you're always doing or planning for the next thing for like eight days straight. You get to the track, you go track walk, you get back, and you either unpack then or you kind of figure out where you're going to be or. In our case, you look over the car, and then you go watch the first run groups like we did, and then you come back, you do some other stuff, then you take your run, then you have to go get lunch. It's just, it's constant, never-ending, which... Which is fair fair point. We thought we were going to have time to record more podcasts. <laughs> Turns out... I laugh. I laughed. Like, like we two minutes of driving takes two. the entire day. We recorded two, and one was pretty short. Um, and I recorded a couple on my own, which are probably not listenable due to wind noise. Yeah. Yeah, we got to talk about levels. Yeah, I I might have done a bad job with that. I wouldn't say, so, I wouldn't say bad. I'm learning. Yes. Okay. So I think the big news that we both want to discuss is... You not only drove on track. I did. You drove on track early in the week. 
I did. And more frequently than you planned or expected. And I, your I would passion and intensity for said driving, I think, was greater than you expected. I think it was. But like, like I told you, like right before we left, that I drove more than I thought I would and less than I wanted to. I th- that is the title of the episode. <laughs> <laughs> Just decided. And, uh, so I can't go over like, I drove this track, I drove this track. But the, the fact of the matter is the first time I got in the car at speed, um, it was a track that I was familiar with. Um, I'd done some laps. I'd, I'd done like one lap laps around there before, but I got in the car at speed and everything felt good. Yep. Um not that I was fast, like like I was noticeably tentative in a few places. I really wasn't willing to chuck the car deep into a corner. Um, I was still battling with the fact that uh, Kia's uh, electric power steering is is like Novocaine for a car. Yeah, and we're um, we're talking about CMP, right? Yeah, CMP. Yep. Um, but it was a track that I could see. It was a track that I could drive well. Um, I think me. I beat. I beat Bob by like a smidge over the course of those three laps. And yeah, it was a different time of day and different temperatures and blah, blah, blah. But, um, you know, it was, I, I didn't like, I finished in the middle of the Sunday cup group. I think, um, I think that's right. Or I finished second or I finished something. Yeah. I did morning. Yep. Um, but I didn't suck at it. Um, which was cool. Um, but the, the not sucking at it's just more of a validation for how I felt. Um, because you don't want to be, you know, be like, I'm, I felt good about that. <laughs> and then be like the slowest guy out there because that just shows that you're, you're not calibrated to anything. Right. Sure. Um, but I felt moderately okay. And the times showed that I was moderately okay. Um, and I didn't do anything dumb and it was fun. There we go. End of podcast. It made, it, it made me want to do more. Yes. And that, I think, is the part you didn't expect. I didn't. I thought I would go drive and I would be like, meh. I mean, that's a thing. Yep. So I always find in science and testing, they always talk about ABA testing, how it's important to return back to where you started. You went and drove motorcycles a lot the day that you got back. Oh, yeah, I did. So I got, I, f- I flew home from Bob's house. We left Bob's at five in the morning, which was like full on one lap time. We didn't have a morning sleep. And we left Bob's at five in the morning. I landed in Houston at 8 30, like at the airport at 8 30. And I was at the track unloading motorcycles at 11.45. Yep. Um, so what I'm curious about is you you really enjoy driving kids' motorcycles. Yeah. And I know you enjoy the community, but we'll, we'll focus on the actual, like, piloting of whatever vehicle you're in right now. So you enjoy that. You went and you did a lot of things in a Kia on the one lap at many different tracks in many different conditions. Yep. Which we can talk drove about. Drove in the wet, drove in the dry, drove something flat, drove something hilly. Mm-hmm. Um, all the varieties. And then you return back to your home track with these kids' bikes that you love. I guess my my first question is... Was it still enjoyable to drive kids' bikes after cars? It felt like coming home. Like, okay. I, and I say that only in that it didn't feel as different to driving cars as I thought it would. And the vi- vice versa was true. When I, when I got in a car the first time, I thought it would be dramatically different. Like, I would like it would be a much different thing and neither of them feel that different from each other. 
which sounds bizarre because your interaction with a vehicle is so strained, like, like so much different. But the act of trying to drive around corners fast feels natural regardless of what I do it in. So what are the, the common threads between the two? Inputs, quality of inputs and sight lines. Um, you know, you're, you're still trying to, to brake at with, with brake pressures that are adequate to slow the vehicle down, but not so much to hurt you. You're trying to accelerate at the right point in the corner, you know, either feeding acceleration on or slamming it open, depending on what you're trying to do, you know, at the right spot, not upset the vehicle you're driving. And you're always looking ahead. Like you're, it's just... Yeah, the, the sight lines were the, the most amazing thing. Like, it, it feels so natural to look forward, to look around corners, to look across the track, all of that stuff. I was amazed at CMP to find myself looking across the track and seeing where you were specifically. Um, I had enough, and, and part of it's because we're in cars that are slow, like slow. Sure. You've got you got time to do stuff. Yeah, But I was... I had enough awareness that I was not just looking at the corners around me. I was looking across the track. I was looking at the corner workers. Um, like all those things that you're supposed to do. Um, and that I do, I always do on motorcycles um, at the tracks I drive in. Cause I'm, and I thought it was just cause I was familiar with them. Like, this is what you do. You turn into these corners, you do this thing. Like as you come out of a corner, you sort of look across the track to see what's going on you know, those things you do at, at a home track, right? Like, sure. you know, right where the corner stations are, you do all these things. And I was doing them at CMP, which is a track that I was at four years ago for three laps. Yeah. Just um, came and back. I, yeah, I don't, but I don't have any muscle memory of CMP. There's nothing about, about, you know, going, turning through that last 90 and going onto the front straight and immediately looking up and looking across the track to see where those other cars are and then settling like like all those you know th those habitual things that you do as an experienced track person none of that was muscle memory for that track but i found myself doing it anyway um which i thought was interesting because i kind of thought all of that was muscle memory because i had to work to develop it initially but i think i developed habits instead of muscle memory which surprised me mm, okay um and also i can look in mirrors yay yeah <laughs> that is the thing uh, you have three of two yeah so many mirrors so many mirrors like you're just the world behind you opens up <laughs> um what are so if sight lines and quality of inputs are the common threads what are the places where it's especially once you went back to a are clear and apparent to you it's so much easier to keep a car online like <laughs> you just ask a car to do a thing and it's like all right i can do that and so the the motor control like the fine motor control you need to put a car online is kind of a blunt instrument versus what you need to do to keep a motorcycle in line. It took me a couple laps to get back to putting the bike on the apex. Either you know, either because the bike was too close and I'd have to stand the bike up a little bit or just off. And some of that may have been diminished mental capacity coming in in riding when I was, you know, fully pretty much still fully tired. Yeah. Um but it was easier for me to drive a car that I haven't driven ever and put the car where I mean it to than it is for me to take a bike that I've done thousands of laps on and put it where I mean it to. Even driving kind of the same level of intensity because I didn't go ride hard. You know, I was riding whatever three seconds off a of fast lap time because I wasn't dumb enough to go try to ride fast when I couldn't remember. Like my memory, you know how it is. My memory was just goo. And I was like, I probably shouldn't be doing this. Yep. 
Um, I I was surprised you went and did that. It was like you say, it was the ABA thing. I felt like I needed to do it. Um, and actually the, it, it worked out really, really good for me because we've just been sitting in cars for so long. Yeah, there is, it's weird for the, how intense of a, of an event the one lap is and how inactive you actually are. Like it feels like you're, feels like you're constantly moving, which I mean, technically you are, but your body for a significant portion of the one lap is in a seat. Yeah. And, and because of the body position I have on those tiny bikes, it requires folding myself into a pretzel and then flopping that pretzel backward, back and forth across the bike. And when I got home from that, like I felt just wonderful. Like everything was stretched out and warmed up. And my body was like, thank you for doing that instead of sitting in a car seat. Cause it was so nice to move like that. Um, I imagine normal people would go for a run or do yoga or something like that. But for me, uh, you know, go ride motorbikes. I probably should do yoga. Something. I, I mean, meant I, to today, but I mowed the lawn instead. I mean, and I, that's all I had in me. I went to work. Lame. Which. <laughs> <laughs> oh, that'd be a different episode. <laughs> <laughs> no, I talked to a bunch of people about like there was there was a very common thread on the the going to work and sort of re-entering polite society and yeah. obligations and nobody. I didn't hear anybody say, I'm so happy to be back at work. Yeah, TLDR, no one wanted to do it. (laughs) (laughs) And I feel, I mean, obviously I didn't have to go to work today. I did have to spend three hours driving the kids around and go grocery shopping and do laundry and mow the lawn. And I definitely sort of, I definitely puttered. Like I, I wasn't... Like, okay, I'll do this, and then I'll do this, and then I'll do this. I was like, do, 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 do. I'll wander over, and I'll do this now, and do, do, do. I'll go check on the orange trees. And do, do. and so, like, everything was kind of like like slow old man stuff instead of somebody who really wanted to get something done because I didn't really want to get something done. It's always been my experience, and I will stand by this, that Tuesdays are the worst day of the week. Ex- expand on that thought. Mondays... Everybody knows. Everybody can see Monday's coming. It's the first day of the week. We all know we hate them. We actually probably start experiencing Mondays like Sunday late afternoon when you start thinking about the fact that you have to go my, back to work on Monday. I know my wife does. She'll get stressed out on Sunday afternoon yeah. knowing that things at work are coming. Yeah. So mon- you know, getting through Monday we know is an accomplishment. Wednesdays halfway through the work week thursdays day before friday it's like friday junior some call it friday part one and then you have friday obvious tuesdays however are a black hole of abyss you're not halfway through the week you just got barely past monday there's no reward there's no incentive for getting through a tuesday are you just psyching yourself up for tomorrow? No, that's this has been a <laughs> a view I've held for years. Tuesdays are the worst day of the week because you never see them coming. I'm sorry. Mondays, Mondays you always plan. You're like, all right, just need to get through Monday. Cool, and then you get through Monday. Guess what? Tuesday, longest day of the week. Sucks. Yeah, I hate it. I, I I can agree with that. There's nothing good. Nothing good about Tuesday. Anyway. Some people say Taco Tuesdays. It's like, yeah, but... I used to do that. I I know. I used to make tacos on Tuesday when my kids were little. Or so. cake, cake Tuesday or something. We do... We you do want, I mean... Cake. I mean... I know. I've been waiting to, oh, to eat this. Such an asshole. <laughs> my wife made a chocolate cake when I was gone and I do have a slice of it. So, you, no, before no, no, the... Sh- no, stop. When we got on, <laughs> it's a long-standing tradition that Seth eats desserts in front of me he had a bowl of ice cream when we sat down and i never knew until just then oh but wait there's more cake <laughs> i was i was saving screw that. you seth <laughs> it's a really thing. good cake too just you know sorry i eat my little box of nerds it's fine it's <laughs> fine all right so 
yeah where are we gonna where are we gonna go with this so yeah. i drove do and i think what really intrigued me and more in like the scott poking seth way that's fine is Bring that you and uh bob really kind of got into a fairly big conversation on what you could do to make the Kia better. Yeah. That I, I heard a distinct air of investment into not only driving, but into driving a particular car. To the degree that we talked about Basically, the phrasing was something along the lines of, when we do this again, mm-hmm. we need to have some way for both of us to be in the same place with the car such that we can do, so I can get more seat time on it, um, and so that we can test a couple of ideas that that we have about making some things on it better. Um and it's it was more than the usual like when you're driving home and you're like dude what are we going to drive next year which is kind of the conversation that that everybody has right right yeah what's um yeah there there's always two there's what do you want to drive next year and what's your ideal one lap car right um for sunday cup it's definitely the rio like like not even a <laughs> you you couldn't make me take one of your other cars versus the Rio. Swear to God. And and your reasoning, which I I totally get, is because it may not make a better track car. You think I I think you both think it can make a comparable track car, right? But that it makes the transits. It does the transit so much better. It's a much better transit car. I've I've owned a Mazda two, and I I technically currently own a, a first generation Honda Fit. My daughter has it at college, but um, I did a five thousand mile road trip in it, so I feel semi qualified in saying that I have I've spent a bunch of time living in a Mazda two, and I've spent a bunch of time living in a first gen Honda Fit, and now I've spent some good quality time in a Kia Rio five. And the Rio's better at freeway things in particular, um, but it's better at being a car than either of those other cars. I think I will agree up to the fact that it needs taller tires. That's that's part of the conversation that we had. Yep. Um, so like any class um, that that has a tire requirement, you have to pick what is the best tire for you and then you know make the whole car work around that and we don't think there's a 205 an appropriate 205 that is taller that is in that same same 200 treadwork category that would really be good um we're gonna do some looking around next year but i was about to say i and i know it's a super unpopular opinion isn't there a 205 50 or 55 aspect 16 out there. Maybe. 16s are terrible though. But if you only need uh, one, <laughs> it's fine if they make your size. It is. And and we'll have to really look at tires next year. We can do the short tire. Um, actually, what we wanted, we were talking about doing is um, because everybody else is running the, the small tire on, you know, four by 100 wheel. Um, getting a set of something that's taller. It doesn't have to be great, but in, in that size. And then going to a grid life event and running the taller tires and then bumming a set of the shorter ones and seeing if the if the on-track performance was comparable. Um, but that's in our, our dream testing scenario where we're like, yeah. hey, Becky, can we borrow your wheels for a session? And then she says yes. She might. She, I mean, the car's already on jack stands, so I mean, I mean, it's not currently. No, but like in our dream scenario. Yeah. So I got gotcha. you. I mean, because Miata is definitely up on jack stands in this scenario. In every scenario, just to be honest. Yeah. 
That is, it's, it's strange to me that like the car hasn't moved since AMP. Like got put up on jack stands it, it, and it so that's the, that's the problem with pure race cars though is they have no purpose when you are not racing and that's always been been an issue I have like even when I had the when I had the RX seven rallycross car it was it was at least briefly street legal but you would have to literally hate yourself to do any sort of street driving with it yep. um, I drove it to an autocross once and. And somebody tried to talk to me when I got there and I was like, I, I can't talk now. I just have to like, I have to get back in my own head because I had driven the car 20 minutes on the street and it was like, I, I can't, it was too much. Yeah. Um, and that's, so race cars are race cars and you've got a race car, yep. like a real race car. So sure do. Um, but, but yeah, that- so, so we were talking about developing the car. And like things we could change because I do think like this is me being emotionally invested in the car, which is a little bit weird. Yeah. Somebody um, else. I do. Th- yeah. I, we, we were, we were looking at how the car was capable of, of putting distance on other cars on the straightaways. Um, power to weight is still perfectly legal, but I think power to arrow I think they all punch a similar arrow hole in the wall. And as speeds increase, that's your main issue is fighting that arrow. Mm-hmm. And I think that's where the Kia has an advantage because it has more horsepower. It fights against that. It fights against drag better. Yep. We've talked about that a little bit with GLTC. Um, and so it's not going to be great at every track. But the bigger a track is and the higher speed it is, I think there there's places where it has an advantage. Right now, though, um, it doesn't turn. So I don't actually know if it doesn't turn as well or if, if I can't make it turn as well, if that makes sense. Um, when I drive it, the car is is really horribly vague in the front end. And so because I can't get feedback from the car, I have a hard time deciding what to do in a given corner. And some of that's just experience and figuring out the quirks of a particular car. But some of it, I think, is is doing some suspension changes to make the front end talk a little bit. So if you can have an advantage on the straights and then figure out how to be pretty much equal in the corners, I think you got a winner. Um, and, and then we're just down to driver talent, which is eh, whatever. Like, <laughs> I mean, we got we got what we got. Yeah. Yeah, I'd, I'd be interested in driving that for a, a session i think bob's talking about coming up to a track day picnic here soon maybe i'll uh steal it for a session and i think bob and i would both really like your opinion um it'd be, it'd be interesting bob's driven kind of kind of this this whole crappy kia world hyundai world um, and they have they have a DNA to them, much like Hondas or Mazdas do. And um, I think they're not they're not terribly sharp through the front end. They don't really like to talk to people, and it's sort of a feature. Like you know, Buick tunes that into their cars too, right? Sure. Um, but I don't think they need to because nobody 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 gets in their Kia and goes, "Man, I wish the front end would talk to me more. That would just be great." That's it's just not part of the demographic that buys those cars. Sure. Um, but I'm not sure that means I, I don't think that means they necessarily can't get that in them. And you said it's electric power steering. Electric power steering, and that's definitely part of it. Yeah, yeah. the The tough part is like you know we talked about caster and like finding out how much caster it actually has but if you know if the electric steering isn't programmed to give some sort of force feedback you can put all the caster you want into it and it's not going to change anything so it is bob actually figured out that there is some force feedback that happens with it because he aligned it one time with the front with the the wheel crooked steering wheel crooked Mm -hmm. and it uses the the angle sensor in the steering wheel to give you force feedback. So if you align it, so the steering wheel is crooked, it is always trying to force feedback you in a certain direction to make the car go straight, even if it's not going straight. That's fun. Sounds terrible. Um, but, but, but what it doesn't do is it doesn't, 
It doesn't load up with load on the car. So normally, this is the problem I had with it. Normally, as you load up the front tires, you add resistance to the steering. Right. And up to a it, point. Uh, up to a point, but but in general, like if you're if you're kind of doing you know a casual 0.3 g corner, or you're doing a 0.9 g corner, you'll have different amounts of feedback through the steering. Which we now know that the Kia can do 0.9 g. We now know it can. Uh, it, it actually is uh, capable capable of beating a Ferrari 812 on the dry skid bed. In the right uh, in the right hands. Yes, fun, fun fact. Um, so normally, like, like though, though, if you load the car up more to to some degree, you get more feedback through the steering, and that's one of the things that it's helping you do. And I don't think the car is doing that. I think it's just giving you feedback basically purely on steering angle. So a car that's loaded up really heavy feels has the exact same steering feel as a car that's driving around the parking lot. Yeah, which is not a lot. Yeah. I don't know. I'm again. And I'm not. Like, we we we, yeah. we talked about this before before we parted ways. Like I'm never gonna say I told you so. Oh, that I would like driving. Yeah. Or that I knew it would do things to you, but I find it interesting how quickly. And relatively intensely, it grabbed hold of you again. This is like this is like an alcoholic and old habits type thing. Like I mean, you just we'll put see. me in, you just put me in a bar, and you were like, "Of of course, this is what you do." I mean, we'll see. Depends on the how quickly and in what capacity you get back in a a car on racetrack. Yeah, and. So I was one of the, the other reason I was really curious about this is I've, I've had go-karts in my garage for whatever, four months now. And I talked about it on the show before my intention was to get ready for one lap by driving go-karts. How'd that work out? I did it like twice. <laughs> right. <laughs> because with, and, and like with pretty good go-karts in my garage, I would walk into my garage and I'd look at the go-kart and I'd look at the motorcycles and I would never roll the go-kart up. There was never a day I thought I would rather do that so than take I'm, a motorcycle to the track. So I'm hearing I'm going to be getting a go-kart soon. <laughs> if you would like to buy uh, a Tony chassis with uh, an X30 uh, 125 two-stroke automatic, um, I know a guy. I, uh, I have no idea what you just said to me. Okay. It's, uh, but I know a guy. <laughs> something like 30 horsepower automatic. Just rear brake because front brakes are for cowards. Um, Again, I'll, I'll, have to, I'll have to take your word for it. I've okay. no idea about these things. Um, no, it's it's like a it's a it's I don't say it's an older class because they were racing them a couple years ago, but it's it's a proper fast cart, and I need to decide what to do with it and who to sell it to. Like I enjoy driving it, but again, like if you give me a, a choice. And I always have a choice. Yep. I will pick a motorcycle. And I will say Barber. <laughs> One thing I thought about Barber, like I came off that track going, dude, this would be awesome on a motorcycle. Yeah. Like if you said you can go to Barber and you can pick cars or motorcycles, I'm definitely not putting my fire suit in my luggage. I am. You could not get me on a bicycle on Barber. You'll be fine. Uh, to the elevation on that, shit. Slightly worried that my eight and a half horsepower motorcycle is going to have some trouble with the hills. If you stay on the paved part, that's that's my concern. <laughs> no, stay on the paved part. It'll be fine. Uh-huh. Like I, I looked around. It'll take a few laps to acclimate, figure out what speeds I can run on it on a bike. Of course, this is a bike that maxes out at like sixty-two miles an hour, so it's like I'm going to be going fast, but. Um, that looks neat on a bike. I wish, I wish I could do the tracks that I did on the one lap after I had that day at Heartland because the day at Heartland, I was, it was finally starting to click that day. 
how to drive that car fairly quickly. Like, I want to go back and drive the tracks that I did now that I've had that experience. Literally one of the worst experiences I've had in a car. Which one? Heartland. Heartland. Yeah, you... <laughs> well, you drove the morning too, right? Drove the morning. It was wet. It was... Uh, and high-speed corners with elevation and banking. Not as much as Barber, but still. Dirt on the track. Yeah. And uh, we made... A guess at tire pressures, which was wrong. What did you guys go out at? So, I don't remember exactly what our cold pressures are, pressure? but but we went we went. I think we were like three psi higher than normal in the front and two psi in the rear. And so the thought was that because it was as wet as it was, and and we're idiots, we know that now, was because it was as wet as it was, we wouldn't build heat the same way. And that was wrong. You do. Not as and, much, but you do. Yeah. Well, we, we came off like two or three PSI over what our normal hot pressures were, even with as badly as I drove. Yeah. Um, and as soon as those tires got hot and the pressures came up, which was about like my, my, my outlap was not great. Um, just cause I was trying to learn the track. I was trying to figure out how much grip was there. So I was testing some braking zones and that was a little spooky. First lap was, I mean, it was okay. But again, I was trying to figure out what I could get away with because the, the steering super vague. So when the car starts to push, especially in higher speed stuff, you've got a higher speed push. It, it, it's a very strange feeling. Um, and about the end of my first lap, the tires got nice and hot and they turned into beach balls. Yeah. And you talk about something that had no feel to it. It was, it was the worst situation ever. It was bad enough that if it had been a normal track day, there's no way I would have stayed out. Um, I would have, I would have called the session. I would have gone in adjusted pressures. Like I would, I would never drive a car that felt like that around other people, um, in a normal situation. Yeah. And it's one lap. So, and that was the session that showed me when mooncake rotates and mooncake does rotate. I saw the video. It won't try to kill me and that it's, it's like, that's its way of trying to help me. <laughs> and I was interpreting it's trying to help me as it's trying to kill me. But once I figured no. that out, all of a sudden, like I could start honing it in a little bit more. So like get just a fuzz of rotation on turn in and then get back to throttle a little sooner without a uh, counter steer. It's pretty, pretty dope. They're good little cars. I'm smitten. Uh, I really, really enjoyed mine when I had it. Um, never tracked it, um, but they'll do things. Yeah. Well, next time you're up, if you sweet talk Becky, maybe she'll let you take it out on a on a track. I would like to do that. I've always wanted to drive a Mazda 2 on track, like since I had mine. Always wanted to drive one on track. That was, had mine not uh, wrinkled itself horrifically. Yeah. Um, that was sort of the next phase with that one. But uh, it didn't happen. So yeah. So yeah, Mooncake for next year, one lap. Yeah, I was going to ask if you get because I, I mean, I've talked the the plans that Bob and I are like we should do this and this and this. Um, what's that conversation that you and Becky had? Well, Mooncake's definitely coming back next year. I have a pot- very long shot, but a potential opportunity that uh, a friend and I are pitching that we'll see if it goes anywhere. Um, It'd be awesome if it does, but it's a long shot. So I'm planning on returning with Mooncake unless this other thing works out. Um, But yeah, I mean... And then then, Becky would have to find another co-driver? Yes. Okay. That'd probably be easy. She's, She's probably the more charming of the two of you so 100 <laughs> percent. it's not even a question um yeah but like suspension wise it's there 
Um, you know, we tweaked, played around with some rebound and made it better. And um, I think there's some rear uh, alignment that would be good to try at some point if Becky wants to. Otherwise, it's all arrow, like the the little arrow you can do, and uh, power. You know, how much more power can you make and still be legal? Uh, don't know. We are going to, or at least I would. I'm helping to encourage Becky to put it on Grid Life's Dino and Midwest Fest uh, while we're there. And since the ECU is so dang easy to swap, let's do back-to-back tests. Check see, them both. Yeah, check them both. See see which one does make more power. I think the B-Spec one will, if nothing else, just based on RPM, winding okay, it out further. Okay, so it lets you stretch it out further? Yeah, and that to me, honestly, was is the biggest benefit. And the biggest difference between Marlon's car and Becky's is Marlon's... Uh, red line is stock at like 6,500 and that just gear ratio wise puts you in some really weird positions you don't want to be in, but, um, the P-Spec one bumps it up to about 7,300, which okay. is significantly more. So yeah, put it on the dyno, see what it does in stock and P-Spec ECU form. And then, um, you know, we can get it way actually it was just wait it was 24 something all right 24 50 something so i'd have to do that math and kind of figure it out but yeah that's the that's the thought so speaking of weight things i already talked to you about this but i'm going to spread this out to the world Mm. um so the the rio weighs whatever three four hundred pounds more than the fit something like that so Bob and I did some some Googling while we were driving mm-hmm. and we looked up uh, corner weights for first gen fits and corner weights for real fives. And yeah, the real fives like 400 pounds, 350, 400 pounds heavier. But the cool thing is since the fit is such a goofy car and has the, the gas tank like up under the driver's seat, and everybody knows that the fit is nose heavy and tail light, and that's just how it is. Helps, the, which is neat. Helps the car rotate. Does that? But the the Rio is kind of opposite of that, and has a bunch of meat back in her thighs. She's uh, she's chunky in the rear. Thick. The weight on the front wheels for a first gen fit and a Rio five are essentially exactly the same. And so it's it's not it's not quite apples to apples because there's weight transfer and all that other stuff that goes on with the dynamics of a car. But the assumption was always that since the Rio Five is so much bigger, it'll be so much heavier. It'll be working a set of two fives harder. Right. And I don't think it's nearly as bad as everybody assumed. I found that very very interesting and. Of course, our resulting conversation after that was, okay, then how, because this is the case, uh, because of Rio is on its wheels much more balanced, how do you get it to turn? That's an excellent question. <laughs> and I thought my idea of rake is the easiest and first go-to. Right. Absolutely. Um you know, and, and of course, you know, everybody chimed in immediately with, well, you know, my car's already got like half an inch of rake. It's like, I don't care. No, it, it's, it, well, the thing more is. more in it, see if it helps. Like, with the, not with by a, a little be- bit. With a beam car, it's so easy to, to right. test, though, because you're not doing all those goofy things you do with a, a double wishbone or any of those other cars where you're, when you when you change height, you change toe and you change camber and you change all that. I mean, the, the hubs are bolted to, to an immovable piece of steel. Right. So you, you don't have, I mean, you have some geometry changes that are happening, yes. but they happen regardless of what's going on. So you can just go play with height without having to worry about it because it just is how it is. Yep. Um, and so that's, you were right. That's something you should, Definitely be playing with 100%. Yep. 
yeah, the uh, yeah rear rake would be first, and then toe obviously would be would be next. And to yeah. be honest, I was I was even surprised how little wear uh, Mooncake's rear tires wore on the highway because yeah. it's got three. I think three millimeter toe in per side in the rear. So I was very conscious of that coming into the weekend because I knew the fronts had like a millimeter toe out or something like that. Um, So those would be well within, well within spec, even with as much camber as it has. Right. Uh, um, But the rear, rear was more. So, but I was delightfully surprised so I think, and my, my theory on Mooncake is that it's, it only has like a degree and a half of rear camber with toe-in. So I think part of why it's rotating is, and tire temps kind of suggest this as well, is that it's just not using all the tread when it's loaded up laterally. Right. So it's allowing, because it doesn't have all the tire to grip, it's sliding, but then the toe-in really wants to bring it back right. uh, fairly quickly. Um, so I think what I would, you know, my thought would be is to increase the rear camber by a bit and then decrease the toe by a bit. You can still... need somebody to make you fancy shims. Yeah. Yeah. They actually sell them. Um, do they? Yeah. They, this is what I did with the PT Cruiser, man. Um, they sell like <laughs> I know, I know. Is um, if you can, never thought the PT Cruiser would be experience would be valuable, but here we are. There, here we are. Yeah, once you know like what you want to change it, they sell different part numbers of shims that you clock in a particular direction. Okay. So basically, like all the shims are, however, like tiny, thin on one side, and then thick on the other side. Well, right. they make them in different thicknesses on the thickest side, and then you use that with how you want to clock it, and you put that between the hub and the axle. That's how you align a beam car. Do they make them for the the two though? Don't know. I mean somebody could, but oh yeah, uh, it's I I remember it was pretty easy. Like you just needed part numbers. Um, last time, but again, that's been. Oh boy! Since people were playing with PT cruisers, I'm not sure. I want to think about this. I was in Florida, and that would have been God, playing with playing with PT cruisers in Florida is like <laughs> 16 years ago. Oh my God! Yeah, probably yeah. around 16 years. It's about right. It's about right. All right. That was that was a terrible math exercise for me. Yeah. So I'm I'm emotionally invested in Bob's car. Yeah, um, and I really, and in, I really and in am. Driving I by extension, I think. So this was this was my other takeaway of it. I I don't think you interact with the people in the event the same if you're not a driver. Um, and I don't I don't want to say that out loud because I don't want anybody who's just transiting to feel diminished. Um, because I don't think you're you're less. Because a lot of cars have in this like specifically Tom Sutter, if you listen to this, I, I don't think you're less of a person because you did not drive the McLaren on track. Yes. But I do think you interact with the event and the people around you differently if you are not driving. Um, And I think I want to interact with you guys and the event through my driving experience. And I, I didn't feel like that at grid life events. Um, I might in the future, um, but I really didn't over just like a, a weekend event where I could just hang out with you guys and watch you drive and go home. I was okay, but on on one lap, like I wanted to be in the car. I wanted that shared experience. Um, I felt like it was important for some reason for me to participate in that way. 
thought you were going to say, I told you so. I thought that's where we were going. I, I was, this, I'm fighting that impulse right now, but yeah, okay. that's, that's about as close as you will ever come to saying you were right, Scott. Yeah. I don't really say that, but yeah, that's not a thing you would do. No. Um, I would like you less if you did. Okay. <laughs> but I, I think I'm as of this event, I'm still a person that drives cars on track fundamentally um that's part of going to a track for me is still driving them i think i can i think i can go to weekends and not drive them and be okay but i'm not ready to not drive them ever again true and i think this event showed me that i think it I think you and I were at the point where I wasn't willing to say that prior to this, where I would be like, no, I probably could never drive cars on track again. And I would be okay because I have all these other things in my life. True. And now after doing this, I'm not entirely certain that's true. Um, I'm not sure all my business with cars on track is done. I'm not sure all the joy that I can get from them has been had. Um, As Top Gear would say on that bombshell, it's time to end. We are right. at Track Walking Podcast on Facebook and Instagram. Track Walking Chats is the Facebook group. Uh, if you could rate, review, and if you enjoy it, share the podcast. Uh, if not, don't. It's your but tell your friends about it anyway. Yeah. Just, hey, have you heard about this terrible podcast, Track Walking? Yeah. Um, yeah. Maybe we should... Just had an idea of who we should ask to have on. But I'm Scott. And I'm Seth. And we'll be back next week. Yep. Okay, bye.